Did early humans fight dragons? Welcome to Answers News for Wednesday, January 11th, 2023. Hello, I'm Tim Chafee, and I'm here with Dr. Jennifer Rivera and Brian Osborne, and we're going to be talking about that topic and several other news stories in just a moment. Uh, I want to introduce our live audience we have here at the Creation Museum today, so go ahead and make yourselves known to the people who are at home. All right. Great to have you guys here. And if you're joining us at home, it's great to have you as well. So let's uh, go ahead and jump into our first topic, then the mysterious origin of dragons. Now, here at the Creation Museum, we have an exhibit called Dragon Legends. And the article does not reference that at all. I wouldn't expect what? them to. But <laughs> Come on, Shame on them. No. <laughs> but uh, in this article, they're trying to make sense of why there are so many cultures from around the world that talk about dragons. And where does that idea come from? Um, we're going to have a disagreement of, on what they say. But what, what do you guys think? Well, I thought it was kind of interesting, though, that they were admitting that, you yeah. know what, they probably weren't all imaginary, right? Which we have always said, right? That's right. It's likely what we see in the cultures and on banners and flags and artifacts and, and, and carvings is, yeah, they were probably carving things that they saw, right? But mm -hmm. we wouldn't necessarily say it was like a flying dragon. Well, right? We would say it's like a dinosaur. And these mm -hmm. legends are literally all over the globe. So that's something to keep in mm -hmm. mind. Pretty much every culture around the world has dragon legends to one degree or another, whether it's in paintings or carvings on flags, as you said, or it's in stories being passed down. And of course, you can tell from the legends, some of them have been really embellished over time, for sure. It may be a combination of multiple ideas, but many of those legends accurately describe various known types of dinosaurs. Now, to the secularist, mm -hmm. the evolutionist, that is absolutely impossible, right? But within the biblical worldview, it makes really good sense. Yeah, so if it, were, if it turns out that some of these dragon legends actually were based on real <clears throat> creatures that today we would call dinosaurs, we're not going to be surprised by that at all because right. the dinosaurs were, were land animals. They were made on the same day man and woman were made. So, yes, they lived at the same time as people, so we wouldn't be surprised. Of course, we want to be clear, we're not saying that every single dragon legend that's ever been told was of a dinosaur. That's, that's not our point. <laughs> yeah. But there are certain instances where, you know what, this does make really good sense, especially from within a biblical worldview. It makes much better sense than what a lot of times what the other ones are saying. So in this one, they're talking about how the, what the, the serpent just sort of, I'm going to say evolved, but that's, they're not talking about evolution the way they no. normally do. It's just the, the way it's depicted mm -hmm. kind of evolves over time. But. but they do talk about winged serpents in the article, and, and that's actually mentioned in the Bible, right? The Bible mentions those fiery flying serpents that we see in the book of Isaiah. So yep. I find that interesting. And once again, we see, you know, the Bible is God's word. It is truth. And Science confirms the Bible, and, and that's just another instance of that, where we for, see that here. And for those who are kind of new to this, bear in mind mm -hmm. within the biblical worldview, dinosaurs are land animals by scientific definition. Land animals are made on day six. Therefore, man lived with dinosaurs from day six mm -hmm. on, right? So, of course, there was interaction between man and dinosaurs. Now, that was an original very good creation, a perfect, perfect relationship between Adam and Eve and the dinosaurs. That changed at the fall of man. And then post-flood, God put the fear of man into dinosaurs, and so that would affect their relationship as well. But we expect this interaction in these legends from that biblical perspective. That's where we draw this from. And actually, we could really, we could invite the author of this article to come here and sure. get the actual history and the real connection mm -hmm. to dragon legends and dinosaurs. I mean, they didn't as, even start looking at dragons as myth until the 20th century, because you can go back through history. I think we mentioned it um, in our excellent resource that we wanted to show everybody, our dragons. Plug. Yes, I know. It's you. an excellent Legends and Lore of Dinosaurs. Uh, it's one of our most popular books. It's really cool for kids. It has lots of fold-outs and pull-outs oh, yeah. and all kinds of really, really cool things in here. Highly recommend this book. Uh, but for most of history, 
they were acknowledged as something, you know, something that was real, a real animal. So. Well, some of those legends mm-hmm. could be from actual encounters. It mm-hmm. could be from them mm-hmm. finding bones, uh, bones and fossils and interpreting them or understanding them rightly from their own experience or experience of their ancestors. And so we expect that. And it's interesting, even the honest evolutionists know about these dragon legends all around the world and try to explain them from their worldview. I'll give you one example that we often talk about, but you guys probably heard of Carl Sagan. Right? Uh, he knew about the dragon, dragon legends literally everywhere. And he said, how do you explain these legends that sound like man with dinosaurs? How do you explain this from an evolutionary perspective? Because in their worldview, there's no way they interacted. Here's what he suggested. That uh, millions of years ago, according to him and his worldview, when dinosaurs roamed the earth, our ancient ancestors lived with them. Our ancient ancestors look a lot like rats, according to evolutionary thinking, these small mammals. And so these ancient ancestors, these rat-like creatures of ours, who saw the dinosaurs, they were so scared and terrified of the dinosaurs, the memory of the dinosaurs imprinted itself onto the brains of our ancient ancestors. And then as they evolved over millions of years, that memory was passed on over long periods of time. And eventually when we became humans like we are today, some of those memories kicked in during dreaming and so forth and so on. Humans woke up and they wrote about what they saw or drew or draw pictures of what they saw. And that's how he says we explain all these dragon, dragon legends that sound a lot like a man with dinosaurs. That's unplausible. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's, a, that's a lot of faith, isn't it? A lot yes. of faith. All right. Well, we could, I'm sure we can go on and on about the dragon legends. Uh, but if you do want to see a better explanation, come to the Creation Museum and in the entryway, the portico, Absolutely. we have an exhibit about that and we have resources mm-hmm. on it as well. Uh, this one I was excited about. Ancient Siloam Pool in Jerusalem to be excava- excavated and open to the public. Now, some of you maybe have been to Jerusalem before and you might be wondering, wait, why is this news? It's already been open for a while. Some of the articles that I've seen on this talk about how it's going to be open to the public for the first time. It's like, well, that is weird um, to say that. Um, so this is what we're talking about, the Pool of Siloam there on the right. Maybe you can't see it. Let me bring up. Oh, look at that. Who is that, Brian? Oh, is in that? the Pool of Siloam. Oh, that was me with you've been to. You've been to, yeah, you've been I've been to a Israel a couple of times. times. I like to remind Brian of that because he's our world traveler, and so he brags about the place that he's Not been. been to Israel. How can that be? <laughs> but um, this is down in the Pool of Siloam. This is me with a couple of our, or with three of our uh, researchers and artists, and we're going to be making a model of first century Jerusalem. So we're there on a research trip. Yes, sometimes we have to sacrifice. That was suffering hard. for Jesus. Good <laughs> yes. on you, Sam. Well, let's Thanks, get those Brian. guys out of the way, and you can see the pool a little better. Uh, this is what we're talking about. Notice that on the left side of the picture there, there is um, a lot of fill in the way. So what you're seeing is really the north end of the Pool of Siloam right there. It's about 225 feet long. And this is on the very, I might confuse you a little bit. Let me show you a map. On the very south end, the southern tip of the ancient city of Jerusalem, outside of the modern walls of Jerusalem. So you can see the big blue area in the center bottom there. That is the Pool of Siloam. And they're going to be excavating that whole thing. What you saw in that first picture was just a little sliver on the north side with the steps going down into the pool. And, of course, this is famous from uh, John chapter 9. It's also in, in, uh, in 2 Kings 20 with Hezekiah. And um, so this is where the blind man, one of the blind men that Jesus healed, he told, Jesus told the blind man to go wash in the pool of Siloam, and then he was healed. And um, so one thing that is also happening, if you notice from the pool going up to the Temple Mount, of course, that's a modern picture showing the Dome of the Rock there rather than the Temple. But um, notice that street that's there. That's called the Step Street or the Pilgrimage Way. They are excavating that right now. And we actually had an opportunity to be led on a tour of that by the archaeologist who's leading it because we're going to be including that in the model as well. We're trying to make it as, as accurate as possible. And what a lot of people don't understand that when they go to Israel, they think, wow, I'm walking with where Jesus walked. Well, 
Kinda. You're walking about 20 or 30 feet above where he walked because the city's been built up and destroyed and then built up over the top of that. And so what they're doing is they're actually exposing what it really was like in the first century. If you want to see the steps that Jesus walked on, you can see some in that picture. Mm. That's cool. And, that's cool. Uh, so that's, that leads right out of the Pool of Siloam, goes 600 meters uphill straight to the bottom of the temple, the, the base of the Temple Mount. So uh, I think I might have taken everything. You got anything else to add on that one? Well, I mean, you've oh, been oh, there twice. There. Yeah. We'll, we'll leave that right. picture rather than my face on there. We'll leave that. So. But it's amazing confirmation mm-hmm. of the mm-hmm. Bible's historicity, that it is mm-hmm. trustworthy and true, that when the Bible talks about people and places and events, it actually it gets it right. And we see that again and again. And archaeology confirms it all the time. we get some great exhibits here at the museum, actually, mm-hmm. that are written by this guy over here, for the most part, that talk about that, right? He's got some of his own pictures from his journeys to Israel in those as well. But, I mean, we have over 20, 23, 25,000 some archaeological finds that confirm the Bible's history. And that makes it so unique amongst all the other professing religious books, mm-hmm. all right? Because the Bible's a one true revelation from God. And the Bible does it all the time. Mentions mm-hmm. people some places. I like how Paul in the New Testament says, hey, that guy over there on that street, he did me really wrong. Watch out for him, right? He names a street, names a guy. I mean, the Bible's specific like that mm-hmm. because it's real people, real places and events. Yeah, and so often, especially this one, not as much, but in a lot of articles like this, they're almost like shocked, like, oh, oh, it's it's confirmed exactly what it says in the Bible. And they they always have this awe about it, but not surprising for us because archaeology always confirms the Bible. And and not that it's the same topic, but by contrast, you have something like the Book of Mormon that mentions a whole bunch of people, groups, and places that were supposedly in North America back around the time of Jesus. Not a single coin or shred of evidence of any of those things has ever been found, and they've spent millions of dollars in archaeological investigations trying to find that because it was made up. Whereas the Bible is written by people who were eyewitnesses, and they're describing events that happened that they saw in certain places where they were. Uh, so it, the Bible is unique in that way among the. Oh, did you want to highlight our resource? Oh, that's right. yes. So mm-hmm. go ahead. Look at oh, you remembering all the resources. Book. Good job, <laughs> Evidence for the Bible. You did not author this one, Tim. Tim no, I did not. Surprise. But excellent resource if you want. And I always like to say, we don't need evidence to prove the Bible's true. That's right. That, that is fundamental. God's word is sufficient. He says it's his perfect word and that is enough. Right. But what we can see in archaeology is we see confirmation of yeah. God's word. Uh, so this is an excellent resource if you want more information about that. Yeah, and there, there's really like two different attitudes people have. Some people are going to, like you just expressed, we believe the Bible is God's word. That's, that's where we start from. And then there's other people who will not accept it as God's word no matter how many things continue to come up. They'll just mm-hmm. say, okay, well, they got the pool of Siloam, right? But Jesus didn't really heal, heal a blind man there. That didn't happen. You can't have a miracle. Or they'll doubt everything until you prove everything. Well, you can't prove everything scientifically. Mm-hmm. So what it does show us is that, yes, the Bible is placed in real history and these things are in the right places at the right time and that happens over and over again. All right, well, that was an exciting one for me just because I got to show off in front of Brian <laughs> pick, a little bit. Did you pick that article? I didn't. Uh, well, yes, I did ask that we do that one, but I think they were already planning Is there one on Australia where I can brag about Australia and the show pictures? <laughs> Get it out of your system because a couple months from now you won't be able to do that with me. I anymore. know, I know. All right. All right, well, most, this study said that most churchgoers, a survey, most churchgoers prefer prayer to Bible reading and study. Um, so... That was, uh, to me, that was an interesting, and I'm just going to confess uh, uh, my own shortcoming here. I'm kind of the opposite. It, for, for me, I, don't, I know I don't pray as much as I need to. Um, I, maybe we can all say that, but I know I, that's one of my shortcomings. But um, 
I get scatterbrained when I start praying and my eyes are closed. I start thinking of everything. Whereas when I'm studying the Bible and I'm doing my, either my daily reading or study, I'm focused on that and I yeah. can stay focused on that most of the time. So um, maybe I'm in the minority with that. But uh, it's an interesting study. We, we were talking beforehand mm-hmm. about a lot of interesting things. So I'll let you guys, I've been talking enough. They want to hear, hear you <laughs> well, guys. Well, I thought it was pretty cool that like 63% said they still choose the physical Bible, which I have to say I'm old school. I like to hold the. I actually like to hold the Bible in my hands. I like to mark my Bible. Feel I have, the pages in your I hand. Do. I do. Yeah, I, yeah. I mean, I have one that I've had. My grandmother gave me as a little girl. I read out of every day, and I just really like that. But yeah. I also enjoy listening to the Bible. Uh, so a lot of times, whatever passages I'm studying, you know, and reading every day, I'm also listening to in the morning. And I feel like you're going to glean a whole different perspective listening to it than you would just reading it. Oh sure. Uh, but I would agree with you, Tim. I find I read a lot more of the Bible and let God speak to me that way than I do in prayer. Uh, But I feel the same way about that. Well, and typically, here's the nice thing about this particular article, that it's good news, right? We cover Mm -hmm. so many bad news articles. We'll get some of those later on. Uh, But it's good news that at least people who are professing Christians, professing evangelicals, they are claiming to pray daily, which is a good thing. We Mm -hmm. should be praying, no doubt about that. Uh, But uh, uh, right along with that, in parallel, we should be reading God's Word. And it's so funny because so many people say, well, I want God here speak to me. I want to hear God speak to me. And I heard someone put it like this. If you want to hear God speak, read your Bible. If you want to hear God speak audibly, read your Bible out loud, right? <laughs> Literally, this is what the Bible is. It is God's word to us. You want to know what God wants to say to you? Read his it's word. It's like looking in a mirror. All right? It's like we were saying, yep. you read God's word and you feel convicted. There's times when I've read the Bible and almost oh, yeah. like... I like, it almost takes my breath away because yep. you're just like, wow, you know, that's like God directly telling you something. You, and I just don't feel you get that same experience through prayer. Well, when you, yeah. it, it's, just it's true. When you pray, mm-hmm. you are praying to God. You're speaking mm-hmm. to him. So the, it's going this direction. But when you're reading God's word, it's God talking mm-hmm. to you. Mm-hmm. And I think we were talking backstage beforehand, just to be transparent on this. I think sometimes I know I, maybe you, do, you guys as well, we don't want to read the word of God because when we do, we're exposed before God. It's clear to us. He already knows, but it's clear to us how how far short we fall Mm -hmm. of who he is and his standards, what he's called us to do. And we are convicted of our sin, which is a good thing. Mm -hmm. But oftentimes we don't want to deal with that. And so I think it's easy to avoid Bible reading because of that. But how desperately we need that reminder, that revelation, that uh, humbling before God, that we can be molded more to his image and used for his glory in that particular way. And so it's a good reminder from that, that we need to be in his word. And just a couple Bible verses about just how important his word is. 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, training, and righteousness. Joshua 1.8, the book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, that you may be careful to do all that it says to do. Psalm 119.105, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light unto my path. And we could go on. God's word is so important. We need to be diving into it. Amen. I right. <laughs> get off my soapbox now and put it yeah. back over here. I mean, if Brian was talking about needing humbling, yes, he does. I'm already there. I'm I will proud say that. Say the how the article did find, though, that females are spending a lot more time in prayer. Next soapbox, I'm about I'll to jump on. Oh, my goodness. And it was like a significant percentage increase over men. Well, yeah. So I think what we can say is we should be doing both. Yep. Yes. Quite exactly. a bit. And, mm-hmm. you know, 
pray without ceasing, the Bible also mm-hmm. tells us. So let's not, let's not pick one or the other. Mm-hmm. And so when I mentioned that at the beginning, it's... it's he wants to speak a, to us conviction. through his word, and he wants to hear yes. through us through prayer. So yeah. absolutely. And we're supposed to meditate on his mm-hmm. word daily and be yeah. thinking of those things. So I'm curious, when you listen to it, do you do like a James Earl Jones voice? Or who's the, who's, which <laughs> there's, audio? A, there's a King James version I really like that's on yeah. uh, YouTube that I listen to. Um, and they actually had different actors um, oh, yeah. who have read scripture. But Wait, it's, it's British accents, all no, of them? No, they're not British, no. <laughs> okay. But what's really great, too, is you, a lot of, I would hate to say, a lot of the Old Testament, I don't know how to pronounce a lot of those oh, yeah, Hebrew them. names. And so to hear it. Nobody does. You know, to hear it's it in okay. The, in the does. audio Bible and to hear it with the Hebrew enunciation and everything, it's, it's very beneficial. So. All right. Mm-hmm. Well, let's move into the next one. Then we've got cave markings so that Ice Age hunter-gatherers were the first to use a lunar calendar. Wow. So in this, this article, they're talking about a study that was done where uh, the, the researchers are interpreting a series of little dots and marks in some of these cave paintings that they say are tens of thousands of years old. Of course, that's when they placed the Ice Age more than 10,000 years ago. Uh, we, would have, we would agree with there being an Ice Age, but we believe that's post-flood caused by the flood. Yeah. Uh, in fact, that's the only mechanism we know of that could actually trigger an Ice Age. Um, so we have no problem with the Ice Age talk. It's just the, the dating of that would be you know, roughly 4,000 years ago, not something tens of thousands of years ago. Um, so this one, they think that it had to do more with their marking the seasons or the migrations for the animals and that they would know when would be the right time to, to hunt them. Which would be really helpful because actually post-flood, God told Noah that you can now eat everything. So post-flood, man is allowed by God's permission to eat meat, to eat animals. My favorite uh, verse. Right? Exactly. No, not quite. All right? <laughs> it's a good one. You may now eat steak. <laughs> All right? Thank Tacos. you, Lord. All right? And, uh, and also it says God put the fear of, animal, fear of man in animals post-flood as well. So probably helping them be preserved as man would hunt them, most likely. But So we had that permission. And so, of course, they'll be hunting animals post-flood, trying to have a supply of food for them. That's going to be important. And then also I thought just now, if you guys know our, some of our other uh, cast members here, Bodie and Rob, if they were here right now, no, don't say there it. would be so many puns about the moon because it's a lunar calendar. I'm not going to say any of them. Thank you. Just a little shout out to <laughs> Bodie and Rob on your moon puns that I know would be here if you were here. But I think what this really shows, too, is the intelligence of the people who were living cave oh, dwelling at this time. Because so often they want to portray cave dwellers as, you know, these unintelligent, you know, Brute. Neanderthal. Right. Neanderthal. You get this right. Yeah. right. And what yeah. we have here is people who are obviously very intelligent, observing the stars, marking that, and you know, plotting the migration of animals to meet their needs. And I, it just, it's just such an excellent example of that. Um, and I think that's why they're always surprised by these. Yeah, things. They're, they're, yeah. these are people from the Ice Age. They're, they're descendants of Noah, just mm-hmm. like we are. We all go back to Noah. Further than that, we all go back to Adam and Eve. And so they're intelligent people. Man has been intelligent from the beginning, which is the, uh, that's a biblical view. The evolutionary view is that, no, we started off as, you know, the, well, coming from the ape-like ancestors and then grunts and that kind of stuff. So we're getting more and more intelligent. And the Bible tells us no man has been intelligent from the beginning. That's why they're always mm-hmm. surprised. And the Bible tells us in Genesis 1 that God made the sun, moon, and the stars to be for signs and for seasons, that's for right. days and years. And that's what these people were doing. And they can be used mm-hmm. for that purpose. So. All right, a uh, sad article here. Uh, abortion is leading cause of death worldwide for fourth year in a row. Now, I think that we were talking about, I think they left out what typically called natural causes. Um, that, you know, just the body breaking old down. Age. Mm-hmm. Old, old age. Old age. Yeah. Uh, apart from that, abortion leading cause of death worldwide for fourth year in a row. And we were a little surprised. We thought it probably was going to yeah. be about 40 or 50th year in a row. But it and could reality, be that they weren't keeping is. those numbers before this time. 
But it says the number of abortions nearly quadrupled the number of deaths from infectious diseases back in 2022. And so it actually gives you some details on this. And so they have a couple different numbers here. According to the World o- Worldometer, World o- Worldometer, maybe, I even say that, but the Worldometer, they said it roughly 44 million deaths by abortion in this past year. But according to the World Health Organization, it was 73 million deaths by abortion this past year. Either way, if it's one of those numbers somewhere in between or somewhere more than that, which is very likely as well, if you could count abortifacients and stuff like that, it is astronomical and it's got to be an utter, it's utterly evil, right? And something awful in the eyes of God to be sure. But they have some of the comparisons here, the number of abortions compared to the number of deaths by other things. So they mentioned here, deaths from communicable diseases were just 13 million. Deaths attributed to infectious diseases, more than 8 million. I'm sorry, 8 million were to cancer. There were 5 million deaths triggered by smoking, 2 million to alcohol-related deaths, 2 million to age-related issues. All those combined are less than the deaths of people around the world according to abortion, by abortion. And bear in mind, in America, roughly 3,000 babies, which are human beings in their mother's wombs, are murdered daily. Daily. I mean, I often wonder how, how, how God doesn't just pour out his wrath because of this just atrocity. And I guess the good news is, on, not that it's, it is a little bit of good news, is that since the Dobbs decision in, 20, in uh, June of 24th of this last year, they have seen a slight reduction in those states uh, where yeah. they now have restrictions. And so the article does point out that there's been 125,000 fewer abortions. Um, they said just as of December 2nd, and the 15-week abortion ban in Florida resulted, they believe, in about 3,800 fewer abortions. So even though we see these staggering I would say just sickening numbers. At least we do see maybe a few lives Mm -hmm. um, are being saved uh, through some of these changes in legislation. So it's important that you're always aware of what's going on in your state and that you are involved in those, you know, in that voting process. And I I think as a reminder, when you hear all of these numbers, sometimes it's just lost on us how many that is, you know, the millions of people, not just through abortion, but through communicable diseases or even old age. That's not how we were created to be. Okay, mm-hmm. death is an intrusion in this yeah. world. The Bible tells us it's the last enemy that will be destroyed, 1 Corinthians 15, 26. It's here because of man's sin. God made a perfect world and we wrecked it. And so when we see things like that, it should grieve us that this is what man has done to God's perfect world. And we continue to destroy it. And we need to recognize that um, you know, the solution to all of this is found in what God has already done by sending his son Jesus Christ to this earth to take our place, to die for our sins, so that we can be forgiven, we can stand righteous before him because of Christ's righteousness that is, that is given to us. Yep. And uh, so that, that's the true good news that comes from that. And ultimately, the people who are pushing these policies that are pro-abortion, that lead to all the murders, all these innocent people, what, need, what do they need? They need ultimately a heart transformation, <laughs> right? A heart transformation that happens through the gospel. And once a heart, heart transformation does take place, that'll change the way they think and view the world and change the policies they want to push as well. And so we understand ultimately the gospel is going to be answering all that. And just, just one Bible verse to think about, Proverbs 6, verses 16 through 17. There are 16, six things the Lord hates, seven that are testable to him, haughty eyes, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood. <laughs> God hates it, so should we. We should proclaim our truth and proclaim the answer to these issues, which is indeed the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. Uh, well, speaking of abortion, FDA says abortion pills can now be offered at retail pharmacies like CVS and Walgreens. And so what we've seen in recent months since, the, since Roe v. Wade was struck down last year, 
We've seen certain organizations try to figure out how to get around, especially in states that have bans on abortion or even uh, limitations on abortion. They're trying to figure out how to get around that. And it seems to me this is just another way where the FDA is getting involved and making it easier and easier for people to do this. And, and this um, pill that they're going to, that they, some, if the pharmacy chooses to offer this particular drug, this right. is the first drug in a two-drug series uh, for Medicaid abortion. And this first drug, the one that uh, is part of this legislation, is the one that actually stops the growth um, of the baby. But there's still another pill that's involved to dispel, right, to get to dispel the baby. So the article didn't mention what's happening, but I would assume that that's what's coming next, is that they're going to try to make it easier for people to get the second drug that you need as well. And you can already um, get these series. drugs online, right? right. They you can, can, be you can already directly get them to your house. Or if you go to any type of like Planned Parenthood clinic or anything like that, they have these drugs there as well. And so you have some you interesting can... quotes from Planned Parenthood. I did. So I was this? looking yeah. at the Planned Parenthood website because I was wondering what they were saying about Medicaid abortion. And um, they actually were saying, well, one of the reasons that you might want to get a Medicaid abortion is because now you can decide who you want to be with during your abortion, right? Because now you can have this abortion at home. The stigma is going to be less, right? Because no right. longer does the mother have to walk into a clinic um, and you know she's feeling that guilt, right? We've heard That's this right. over and over again. Yeah. But now you can just do it at home. So I think they're trying to make it sound like it's easier. And then they actually go on to say, because Medicaid abortion is similar to a miscarriage, what they're saying. It's just, a, you know, it's just like you're miscarrying the baby. And it says, you're going to feel like it's more natural and less invasive, is what Planned Parenthood says on their website. So <laughs> in a sense, by they're kind of admitting that abortion is not natural right. and it's invasive, mm-hmm. which it is, right, on all levels. Uh, but mm-hmm. it, those are good quotes and kind of just show us they know uh, at least at a certain level, what they're doing. And, and the problem, too, is the complicity here. You're, yeah. Not only are you involving the pharmacist techs, right, who may work at these places, who may disagree, you know, with this oh, type sure. of worldview and are now going to have to dispense the medication, but now how about the delivery companies who don't have to deliver the medication to people's houses? Well, now they have to be complicit as well, right? Postal Service, FedEx, however they're delivering this medication, all these people are now going to be um, involved in this whether they like it or not, if they want to keep their job. Right. And it is, like the article, like you said, the Planned Parenthood website, it is similar to a miscarriage in the fact that the baby dies. It's dissimilar in that one is unintentional, the other is intentional. That's that right. makes all the difference in the world. And really what they're saying when they're talking about how it's um, less intrusive and everything, so not to be too graphic or anything, so it's like, do you want your baby to be dismembered or just you know, killed by chemical death? What, you know, what do you want? Mm-hmm. Either way, the baby is the life of the baby is taken, and it's tragic, and we need to understand what is really happening. Um, that's one of the reasons we built the Fearfully Wonderfully Made exhibit here at the Creation Museum. If you guys who are in the audience haven't seen that yet, make sure you check that out while you're here. Uh, those of you guys online, if you haven't been in the museum, you need to come to the museum and check it out. And it's Sanctity um, of Life Month, so there's no yes. better month to come than January. That's yeah, right, and yep. it's, it's just a spectacular exhibit mm-hmm. with little models. I mean, the, the people I work with in the design oh, studio, they, they're so they are incredibly talented, the things that they make. I just do the writing and stuff. I research and write. I can type. And they, they make those sculptures. You type sculptures. so creatively. <laughs> yes. typing is so creative. Well Thanks, done. Right? Oh, I feel so affirmed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, you know, really, we're getting hit with this issue all the time. Of course, the culture of death is pushing this ideology of death on our culture, on us, even on our kids. And there are so many arguments that, that may sound somewhat reasonable until you understand what they actually are advocating for when you break it down from a biblical perspective. How do we answer the 
pro-abortion arguments from a biblical worldview. We've got tons of resources on that. Mm-hmm. But our kids are getting hit with these things as well. And we wanted a resource to equip kids with answers at age-appropriate levels on these issues. We looked for one, could not find one, so we made one. Mm-hmm. All right? So Dr. Georgia Pirtle and also Stacia, they worked together to make this book called Crafted by God, From Fertilization to Birth, Giving Biblical Absolutely Answers. Absolutely beautiful, too. It's a beautiful it book. It is a phenomenal book. It's also a pop-up <laughs> and a pull-out book, so good for kids engaged at that level mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the love is tactile. It's engaging, good biblical answers, age-appropriate. It's a nice coffee table book as and well. And available on our website. And available yeah. I don't just think we have it in the store website. yet. This is yeah. brand new, hot right. off the press. Yeah, so sorry to the people who are here today, unless you rush the stage and grab it afterward and get away from Brian, you're not going to get that one today. But, um, but yes, it is available for pre-ordering or ordering yes. on our website mm-hmm. and uh, should be available very, very soon. All right, last one. This one, good news. Um, I love these little things. That's so fun. Re- reverse engineered hummingbird wings could inspire new drone designs. I like drones too, but I'm talking about the hummingbirds. Yeah. Mm-hmm. These are the most amazing little creatures. And I, t- I talk about this sometimes and people think it's funny that my favorite living animal, I mean T-Rex is my favorite, but a favorite living animal is this little tiny bird. Oh, that's my, my favorite bird too, oh, so we awesome. share that too. Of they, course the giant loves the little bird. They right? are just, <laughs> they're so incredible, the things that they can do. They're not like any other bird. You know, other birds, when they fly, they have to bend their wings on, to flap upward and then they make them rigid on the way down. Hummingbirds don't do that. They keep them rigid all the time. They just turn and twist them mm-hmm. and they make three different motions. They're, and they flap so fast, their heart beats so fast. They're yes. just so different and unique. And if you've never watched slow motion video of these things uh, or some of the things some of the tests they've done i've watched where they put a feeder in there and they push a button the feeder's able to spin around the hummingbird's never seen that before takes one look for about one second and then just sticks his beak in and flies around in a circle keeping his beak in the whole time They're absolutely just, amazing yes yeah, god's just showing off so make sure you take a <laughs> stop and look at the little things sometimes and this Literally, article the little things yeah so this article it's an example of biomimicry mm-hmm. where we're looking at something that god has designed and we're saying you know we just maybe copy. we can improve the design on yeah. things and if we look at what the creator now they don't see the creator all the time mm-hmm. yeah yeah um and i found it interesting and i'll let you guys talk on this as well but uh it it mentions evolution once in a completely meaningless way. It has nothing to do with evolution, but they're talking about there's a uh, genetic algorithm, an optimization program based on evolutionary strategies. That's what they're supposedly... They had to figure out a way to try to throw evolution yeah. in the article. What are evolutionary strategies? What, that it's going to die Does evolution strategize? It's, it's going to break Does down and die. Does it think it's a plant? It doesn't do that. The drones right? are magically going to get better and better. You just make one and then it's going to evolve. It's going to evolve itself. Yeah. yeah. There's your evolutionary strategy. So anyways, I blabbed enough. What do you think? Yeah. Well, these are pretty cool. And what I found fascinating was that hummingbirds can accelerate at nine Gs, right? That's basically a gravitational acceleration. And for humans, you know, our pilots have to put on special outfits and everything to help their bodies, you know, so adjust to that. But hummingbirds have nothing but feathers, right? So uh, pretty amazing how we can see. And you were even talking about some of the other amazing things, like the low oxygen. And, you they, know, they can it, exist. There, there's some that exist in the Andes Mountains. And they did tests on how much oxygen do they actually mm-hmm. need. We have 20% oxygen roughly in our atmosphere. They can exist where there's low oxygen. They did tests. They got it down to 6% before the thing actually started to struggle. I mean, they're just, and think of how fast that heart's beating. Mm-hmm. And that, that it would still need, you'd think it'd need a lot of oxygen. Mm-hmm. It's just... They're, they're just incredible. Well, well, and I would say this too. People often will say that we at this ministry are anti-science. and Nothing could be further from the truth. We love science. We have a lot of scientists who love their fields and are great experts. do a wonderful job in those particular fields, like forensics, for example, <laughs> something like that. And we love science. We love good 
actual science. What we don't like is a bad worldview and bad interpretations that lead, lead to wrong conclusions. And that's not scientific at all, right? But this is some good science here. Actually, mm-hmm. if you read here, uh, to find out this new information, they had to reverse engineer what they were looking at. And so they utilized some big words here. They u- utilized a combination of pre-existing anatomy literature, computational fluid dynamics simulation data, wing movement captured by micro-CT x-ray scans. So they used all this real good scientific stuff to study mm-hmm. God's creation and learn about it to then apply it to other things. That's good science, and we love that. It, it's a good thing that little tiny hummingbird evolved different sorts of wings, different sort of capability of <laughs> exactly flying, different sort of breathing, be. different right. sort of, yeah. Hey, since we had the article that said we need to read God's word more, we can end this whole episode with the word of God. Job chapter 12, verses seven, verse 7 says this, Ask the animals, and they will teach you, or the birds in the sky, and they will tell you about our creator. Yeah, mm-hmm. and the hummingbirds sure do that in a lot of ways. Just like the heavens declare the glory of God, you can look at creation and just be amazed at what God has done. Amen. All right, well, a couple of things we got coming up. We ran out of time, otherwise I'd love, love to talk about hummingbird or Pool of Siloam <laughs> a little more. But um, we've got our death days here, April 21st through 23rd at the Creation Museum in Ark Encounter. But such a special event. Great event. Uh, we have yeah. uh, different people who are, you know, know, are here using ASL and other things to help communicate with those. Uh, who are deaf. And so if you know somebody who would benefit from that, uh, there's the information, and we invite them April 21st to 23rd. Or if you happen to be somebody who can translate, you know, oh, yeah. talk to us. We'd love to have you Absolutely. as part of it as well. Uh, and we also have our homeschool event. Uh, we did this last year for the first time, and it sold out like that. So we had, to, we had to do it back to, we had to double yeah. the conference, make it back-to-back days, which means I had to do like 15 different tours of the ark. <laughs> I had to do a lot more. But, uh, you got your steps in. Yeah, I got we're my steps in. excited about this year. We're going to have one longer conference this year. So okay. it's actually going to be five days uh, with lots of different workshops. And yep. I know Brian and I are both uh, going to be presenting in those. And so I would highly encourage you to register soon if you're interested in coming and it's a great deal honestly for because it mm-hmm. includes your tickets to the attractions as well as well as and all, parking and, and parking mm-hmm. so it really yeah. is good so the theme this year equipping generations for the king may 8th through the 12th 2023 so that is unfortunately all the time that we have today and so hopefully we'll see you next time on answer the news god bless see you guys